Let's go ahead and pray. Father, we thank you so much for your love and for all the dads here. I thank you for my uh, dad and my stepdad and my grandparents and all the, the men that had an influence in my life. And I thank you that each one of them had something very special to uh, represent you to me. Uh, they taught me something about your character. And I thank you for those, Lord. And uh, we just pray, Lord, that right now you would help us to look to you in faith. And Lord, to be forever changed by the power of your word, your spirit, using your word in our hearts. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Last week, we've been going through the book of Philippians verse by verse. We did the first two verses of chapter two last week. And we studied how thinking about grace or what the things that God gives you will bring unity or, or will bring a bond to the body, would really affect us. And uh, after we dried our tears, after looking at the, the life of Jesus and all that he gives us through all the different eras and ages of his life before time and then all the appearances in the Old Testament, his life on the earth, his death, his resurrection, his, what he's doing in heaven now as, as our, as our um, high priest and interceder and then his coming back. We looked at all of those different eras of his life. And, and as we looked at those, we were very... Um, affected as we meditated on what Jesus did. And meditation is, when I say meditation, I do not mean what Eastern uh, thought or Eastern meditation is. What they consider meditation is by emptying your mind. You do the, oh, you guys have seen that, right? They, they, they empty their mind of all thoughts. That's really um, dumb. <laughs> Please don't do that. And they try to get your kids to do it in school. Please teach your kids to not do that. Open, emptying your mind is the definition of being dumb. Right? Is there any? What biblical meditation is, is filling our mind with Jesus. Filling, not emptying. So, uh, as we meditated, as we filled our mind with Jesus last week, we allowed our souls to drink deeply of his uh, love and comfort and consolation, mercy and fellowship. All those were the five things that we looked at last week. And a as we kind of move on now, we're going we're gonna to look at how to think with a low mind this week. Each of our sermons through the book of Philippians is tied how to think something, because Philippians is all about thinking and so today we're looking at how to think with a low mind. Probably part one. We'll see. Maybe part two next week. You have to come back and see. <laughs> so if you Google the term low mind, a low mind, what you'll find is that the world thinks that lowliness of mind is a problem that needs to be fixed. It needs to be remedied with a very worldly solution of self-esteem. A low mind means you don't have any self-esteem. And the world is very big on you need to have your self-esteem. And if you don't have self-esteem, there's a problem that needs to be fixed. But Paul is going to teach us here in Philippians that we should have a low mind. And that having a low mind is the best way to operate our mind. It's actually the way for us to reach our fullest potential. It's the best practices for our mind. It's how to get the most out of your life, 
I think in my mind, I picture a guy running a backhoe, you know, one of those construction things. I'm fail. Here's my man card. Take it. Whatever. <laughs> I just, ugh. Anyway, I, I picture one, and I picture a guy that doesn't, doesn't know how to run it, and he's just going all over with the backhoe, and, and that's someone who's living in their life with pride just breaking everything around them. They don't even understand the damage that they're doing. Whereas humility is the way that God says we must live our life. It's how to operate your mind. Your mind is like a backhoe. It can do damage to your life and the lives of the people around you if you don't operate it the right way. And so that brings us to our text. Philippians chapter 2, verse 3. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interest of others. So Paul says, let nothing be done. How we think dictates what we do. But it's also the thoughts that classify your actions as good or bad. You can be nice to someone, but if it's an attempt to manipulate them, you have contaminated your good actions with fleshly desires. This happens in marriages. This happens in relationships all the time. Guys, why did you do the dishes? Because they were dirty and you love your wife or because you want something from her? Why did you take out the trash? Out of love for her or to get her off your back? Why did you stay faithful to your spouse? Because you don't want to deal with the ramifications of divorce or the social problems it causes? or because you truly love them and you're there to serve them through every trial. How we think dictates whether our actions are really godly or whether they're just a show. So our thoughts are kind of like an equal part with our actions. And God is looking at our thoughts, the, the heart behind your actions, so we can't be fake, right? Right? People try to hide behind their actions. Man, I showed you that I loved you when I said I do. Isn't that good enough? Why do I have to take out the trash? Why can't I go to the strip club? I, sh- I said I loved you. But we know that's not, that doesn't work, right? I do this for you. I do that for you every day. Isn't that good enough? The Lord demands that we actually be sincere in our love. Sincerity is a big deal with God. To truly love from our hearts. And that can only come from God and from his spirit. So, question for you. Pop quiz. Are you faking your love today? Your love for your spouse, your love for your kids, your love for your parents, your father. Is there any love that you're faking? The answer isn't to say, well, I don't know, and stop thinking about it. This question's a little too deep already. This church, 
gets down to the nitty-gritty. No, the answer isn't to do that. The answer is to repent, confess it to the Lord, and run back to him and ask the Holy Spirit uh, to, put, to grant you to have true love in your heart for one another, for your spouse, your coworkers, your friends, your enemies. And I'll explain in, uh, how that works in a little while. But he says here in our verse, he says, let nothing be done through selfish ambition. If you're thinking about your own advancement, that's selfish ambition, your, your own benefit, your own promotion, if you're thinking about those things, here's a quick little thing. You are thinking in the flesh, according to the flesh. And the flesh, what we learn in the Bible, is that it will ruin relationships. That's what flesh does. It will never be satisfied. If you're thinking about how safe your relationship is, it's going to ruin your relationship. We have to take risks to love people. Always wanting to be safe is a mark of the flesh. The Spirit says, I'm going to love you even if it hurts me. I'm willing to take the risk to step out and love you, even though it might hurt me down the line. The flesh says, no, I'm only going to love people who I know are not going to hurt me. Who's that? Nobody. Nobody is never going to hurt you. So he says here, let nothing be done through selfish ambitions. Are you going, are you doing what you do from a deep internal desire to see your kingdom grow or God's kingdom grow? Because they are not the same and we can't serve both of these kingdoms at the same time. He says, let nothing be done also through conceit. What is conceit? Conceit is thinking too highly of oneself, right? Having an excessive self-interest or self-preoccupation could also be translated empty glory. Pause on that for a second. Conceit could also be translated in the New Testament as empty glory. Glory in the Bible, I'm going to define that for you too. We're going to nerd out on this in a minute. This is exciting. Glory is, the, is defined as weight or substance, right? Right there. What I like to say is glory is the difference between steak and cotton candy, right? Steak just has a substance. It has something to it. You can bite into it, chew it, feel it in your stomach, in your gut. Ugh, Ugh. Give me a man growl. All right. Cotton candy, you could eat a million pounds of it and you still wouldn't eat anything because it doesn't weigh anything. You can't get a million pounds of it. It's like nothing. You put it in your mouth and it's gone. It does not satisfy. So glory could be best. I want you guys to think of it as weight. So when we think with a high mind or conceit, Paul says, when you think you're all that and a bag of chips, when you have self-interest, what we're doing is we're filling up our souls with cotton candy. There's just nothing there. And we call those people shallow, flighty, 
weightless. The, the, those are not people that we like to hang out with because you're like, oh, they might be fun for a couple minutes, but if you try to talk to them about anything of substance, they're like, have an empty look in their mind, in their eyes, because they're filled with cotton candy inside. But he says, Paul gives us instruction, he says, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. So lowliness of mind is humility. In our actions with people, we are to esteem them better than ourselves. This doesn't mean that you, you actually think they are better. It means you treat them as if they're more important. Because in your heart, they are. But how do we get that heart? That's the question that we're, we're stuck with. How do we get that heart? How do we get this humility? How do we get a low mind, as Paul says here? How do I stop being fake and thinking about myself all the time and start really becoming lovely? Well, I'm so glad you asked. I would like to explore that. I want you to center your, word, your thoughts on the word low. Three letters, picture it in your mind, low. If we had a theme song for this day, it would be Low Rider. You guys can play that, right? By the way, music was out of control, awesome. So just thank you guys so much. It was, I felt like I didn't even know how to play guitar. You took me places I did not know it could be gone. Thank you. <laughs> so this idea of being a low rider or having a low mind is going to be the key to our understanding of how to correctly operate our minds, how to think and act in a way that honors God. So low is our key. Get lower. Humility prepares the soul to live on trust. I'm going to say that again. Humility prepares our souls to live on trust. Sometimes you go on a diet and you have to train your body to live off of different foods. And at first your body rebels and says, this is disgusting. I do not want to eat salads all the time. Right? I want something good. Well, the same with our souls. Our souls need to be taught how to live on trust alone. The opposite of that is living by self-sufficiency. Oh, I got this. God, I don't need you. Whereas dependency and faith are what God tells us we must live by. We have to feed our souls on this. So to think this way of humility is like training your body to live on a different kind of food. Your, your flesh might rebel against some of these ideas that we're going to talk about. In fact, your flesh will. I can guarantee you that right now. As we talk, your flesh is going to be like, I don't like this Bible study. I hate Pastor Sean. He's wearing shorts. He's dumb. <laughs> because your flesh loves self-esteem. Why do you think the world is so infatuated with self-esteem? Because it's the natu natural inclination of our heart is to think, I am pretty good. I got this. In fact, I'm way better than all the other people in those other churches or in my own church. I'm just so much better. It feels so good to think good about yourself. 
But when we learn, learn to walk in humility, we have to abandon all thoughts of how good we are, how good we do things, how good we feel, and what we want, and we have to replace those thoughts with a vision of what God is, and what God does, and what God feels, and what God wants. We have to see him higher and us slower. As John the Baptist said, he must so that we must decrease. My sister over here yesterday at the picnic was telling me that she studied that word, decrease, and it means to get lower, right? Is that right? Okay, to get lower, which fits in perfectly with our Bible study today. We need to decrease. That's how to properly use our mind, to get lower. We see him higher and us lower. You are a vessel, a cup maybe, a vase if you want to be fancy about it, a vase if you want to be super (laughs) fluty, I don't know, (laughs) eloquent, that's the word I was thinking of, thank you, hooty tooty is all I could think in my mind, (laughs) that is not eloquent at all, that's the opposite of eloquent. The highest purpose for a vessel is to be filled with something valuable. Something really special. Oh, that two-liter bottle is filled with pieces of gold. I want that two-liter bottle then. That two-liter bottle is filled with bird droppings. Not so much, right? What it's filled with determines its value. And for us, we are very special vessels indeed. For God has created you to be filled with the very glory of God. What does glory mean? Weight. The very substance of God. God says, I desire to fill you with that. And that's the most special thing in the universe. That's the heaviest thing in the universe. No other animal, even angels or plants, cannot contain what you alone were created to be filled with. That's why we are God's imagers. And this is also why the abortion issue is such a big deal. It's not because we can have emotions. That's not what makes us imagers of God. It's not that we can have free will. Those are attributes. What makes human beings so amazingly wonderful is that we were created by God to be filled with God, every human being. And even if a human is born without some of the attributes that we give to God, like free will and ability to praise God and ability to have emotion and communication, things animals don't have. Even if a human being is born with a deficiency in one of those, it does not diminish that they're still made in God's image. They're made as an imager of God. They're made with a value attached to them that they are a vessel that he desires to fill. And that is what makes every human being of priceless value like a vase in a shop that's worth billions of dollars, is each human being in God's sight. 
That's what I learned this week that most blew my mind. But we have a problem. We fill ourselves up with junk. Sin. Things that are contrary to God and, and things that promote self and selfishness. Humility is simply emptying out our vessel so completely that God can fill us up with his glory and his presence. The more that we empty ourselves of ourselves, our cotton candy, the fuller and quicker God is able to fill us up with the only things that really matter, his spirit, his glory. A verse we're going to look at real quick is 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. Earthen vessels, that's just pots made of clay. That's what we are. What did God make us out of? Dirt. We are basically dirt bags, dirt vessels. And when he made us in this way, he, he, he took something, the most common thing in the world, literally earth, and he added his creative touch, his wonderfulness. He, he made it into a human being, and that human being is now able, as no other creation, to contain his spirit, to be an image of God, an imager of God. Andrew Murray wrote one of the greatest books in history. It's called Humility. And you should read it. You can listen to it free with an app called LibriVox, or you can buy it, or I'll give it to you if you can't afford it. I have like four copies at home. And in this book, Humility, he, he gives this quote, Pride must die in you, or nothing of heaven can live in you. Pride must die in you, or nothing of heaven can live in you. The path to greatness is to go lower. Lower. Think of yourself as having a gas gauge of self-esteem and self-ambition. And what we need to do is let that gas gauge drop down to empty. God is looking all around the world to find empty gas tanks. People who are ready to be filled with his glory. People who will just acknowledge their need for God. The more pride you have, the less you feel like you need God. And you know how much I can tell how prideful you are? How much do you think you need God? Well, I, I need God on Sundays. All right. You're at one out of seven. You are six-sevenths full in your gas gauge of pride. If you want to experience real glory, real weight, get that gas gauge down to nothing. Because God is looking all around the world to see 
Who would live like that? Who would see themselves as an empty vessel? It's a, uh, there's a verse in Second Chronicles that says, he, his eyes go to and fro throughout the whole world looking to see who he could show himself to be strong in. He's just, he's longing to see someone who will just trust him and him alone. Who is empty? Think about water for a second. Water always flows to the lowest place. And this is how God and his Holy Spirit work too. The reason why he made water flow to the lowest place is so it could be a picture of his spirit. They always naturally flow to the lowest and emptiest souls. Those people who are abased and abandoned thoughts of self-sufficiency, God fills with the water of his spirit and it's able to get into the deep places of the heart. Well, how do I empty out my vessel then? I know that's a thought all of you are thinking. I want more of this spirit. I want God's glory. And the answer is to set your mind on things above. Surrender your thoughts to dwell on God and his grace and not yourself. That's what Paul's saying. Let lowliness of mind define you. Humility is when we let God displace all our thoughts of ourselves with thoughts of him. Set your mind on him. Humility is when we disappear to ourselves and we only see that God is all in all. When we truly think, why would I waste time thinking about myself when I could think about Jesus? When that is the attitude of our heart, man, you are in a great place. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's not making a decision that I need to think less of myself. I I need to think worse of myself. That's not what humility is. It's just thinking of yourself less. Because your imagination is captured with the character and the grace of God. What do you think last week all we talked about was Jesus and what he did? And then that preceded the talk about humility. Paul wrote that very specifically. He said, we need to, you need to think about grace and all that Jesus has done for you, the comfort of love, the, the fellowship, the mercy, the grace and love that he's given you. Just think about those things. Spend a week on that. And then I want you to notice that all of a sudden, you're not as big a deal to yourself as you thought you were. Jesus is so much better. And it's not a rule that we came up with. I didn't say, we're going to think about Jesus this week, and you're not allowed to think about yourself. We just talked about Jesus, and I'm positive that as we did, your thoughts were not on yourself. And your tears last week showed me that. Your thoughts were on him, his life, and his love. It's by a desire that God gives us that this humility happens. It's not, it's not a, a rule. I can't tell you guys, be more humble. That does not work, does it? Only by setting our mind on Jesus Christ can we grow in humility. Pride 
is the enemy of faith. Pride says, I got this. I don't need you. I don't need your promises. I don't need your grace, and I don't need your word. You don't own me. That's an inside joke with my wife. Pride says, in fact, you need me. Where's my church going to be without me? Look at all that I can do. Look at my best efforts. Look at my awesome plans. Look at my great abilities. Look at me. I could be better worship leader. I could be a better teacher. I could be better children's ministry. Maybe you could. But you won't be because your heart isn't right. Let me get up a little higher so that you can see me more. Paul says that's not the way to operate the mind. In the mind, we have to operate in lowliness of mind. James 4, 6 says, God gives grace to the humble, but he opposes or resists the proud. So God wants to use you. God looks at you and says, oh, I have great plans for you. But if you're going to live in pride, if you're going to live in self-sufficiency, self-focus, not looking to my son every moment of every day, I have to hold my hand out and resist you. You want to go over there? I'm going to trip you. You want, you want to try to climb up that ladder? I'm going to shake the ladder and make you fall. I have to resist you. I literally must resist you because you are fighting against me. Humility is just receiving God's love and God's grace and God, God wants to use you, humility says, use me then. But not because I have anything that's of quality or of, I don't have anything inside me. It's all you. And that's the people that are used by God greatly in this world. Maybe not the people who have big churches because you can build a big church with lots of lights and pyrotechnics. I could have 500 people next week Week right here in this room. I just say, we're going to cut Spencer in half. All of you can watch. <laughs> we're going to burn him after that. There would be so many people here to see that. You've made a lot of enemies. I'm just kidding. <laughs> That's not happening, by the way. Well, or maybe it is. Bring your friends and find out. Just kidding. I want to be used by God the way he wants to use me. And I don't know what that is, but I know that right here, right now, that's me with you guys. These are the people that God wants me to love and to share the word of God with. Um, this is a, a to Andrew Murray quote sermon. So here's quote number two from Andrew Murray. Dose. Humility, the place of entire dependence upon God, is from the very nature of things, the first duty and the highest virtue of his creatures. And so pride, which is the loss of humility, is the root of every sin and all evil. Wow. Paul is calling us to live a life of faith where we trust God's love and God's grace where we acknowledge our need for God's grace and fully depend on his grace, renouncing every dependence upon the flesh or stop trusting yourself. Self-esteem is not what Paul says answers anything, fixes anything. 
Loneliness of mind is this. How much can I depend on God and not myself? How much can I trust in the Lord? Ask yourself that question. God is so much better than me. He is right. I am wrong. He is perfect, and I am perfectly incapable of doing anything right or filling myself up with anything valuable. All I have managed to fill up my soul with is cotton candy. There is no glory in what I have ever accomplished in my own strength. Remember, conceit could also be translated empty glory. When we think about ourselves, it looks like something is there, but it's really just air. Nothing of substance. If you put it up on a scale, it would be nothing. And that's what the Bible means when it says all our righteousness is as filthy rags in God's sight. We can't do anything in our own strength. And just because you're a believer doesn't mean you can now magically fill your cup up, or your cup is magically filled up with all the good stuff just because you decided to believe in Jesus. That's the start. But we are commanded to grow in grace. We need to constantly be being filled with the spirit of God's grace or growing in humility, you could say. And we learn that from Ephesians 5.18, which many of you guys know. It says, do not be drunk with wine, which in which is dissipation or waste, but be filled with the spirit. And that word be filled is hard in English to translate from the Greek because in the Greek it's in the present active tense, which means it's be being filled with, and that just is weird in English. I don't say be being a good boy today, son. But he says be being filled. In other words, constantly be in a state of being filled with the Spirit, setting your mind on things above, looking toward Jesus in humility and faith. We're going to read our text again and see if it makes any more sense to us. If I've done my job, maybe it means a little bit more to us than it did at the beginning. Probably not, though. (laughs) Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. It seems like I've been talking a lot about our relationship with God, and as we read this verse, it tends to go towards our relationship with other people. Why is there that difference? It's because our relationship with God is put on display by how you interact with other people, especially your spouse. You can't have a real and humble relationship with God and not have it affect the way that you treat other people. It's the way that God wants his family to work. If you consider, if I consider you above me and consider you better than me, then a marvelous thing happens. We have a family where everyone is looked up to and no one is looked down on. Isn't that cool? The ancient Greeks, by contrast, used to hate the idea of lowliness of mind, of humility. They considered it a fault and not a virtue. 
Uh, Lenski says, the, the pagan and the secular idea of manhood is self-assertiveness, imposing one's will on others, like Leonidas. When anyone stooped to others, he did so only under compulsion. Hence, his actions were disgraceful. The Christian ethical idea of humility could not be reached by the secular mind because it lacked the spiritual soil. So Paul says, let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but for the interests of others. Everything about how we think in lowliness of mind is wrapped up right here in that verse. When we look out for others and love them sacrificially, we are filled with God's glory. God responds to that. We become vessels of honor when we empty ourselves of ourselves. And this is not just how we act when we're in public or around people. It needs to be the reality that governs all our actions and all our thoughts. So it doesn't matter if you always act nice to people. If you get home and you're like, what a jerk to have some hate that person. And you complain about people in your mind, you're still missing out on God's glory. I'm not saying you can't. I'm not even saying they shouldn't be complained about. Some people are idiots. But there's a, a higher calling we have. We can be filled with the glory of God. And when we complain about others, all we're doing is prohibiting ourselves from getting the stake, the glory. We're saying, I'm fine with cotton candy, and your soul is like, I'm starving, though. When we're alone and we think envious or lustful thoughts about people, we're empty of glory. We're filling ourselves up with these thoughts and these attitudes that are not Christ-like, and it just pushes the glory out. Our mind is not focused on Christ, but the opposite is true as well. When we'll surrender our thoughts to the Lord and think good about others, think lovingly about others and pray for others, we get filled with the real glory of Christ. And that's exactly where Paul goes here. Um, And next week, as we continue, we're going to set our minds on Jesus Christ, who is the perfect example of humility. He doesn't just demand humility from us. He's actually going to show it to us. He's going to show us how to have that. So I'm going to close with a story, all right? At a reception honoring musician Sir Robert Mayer on his 100th birthday, an elderly British socialite, Lady Diana Cooper, fell into a conversation with a friendly woman who seemed to know her well, and Lady Diana's failing eyesight prevented her from recognizing her fellow guest, until she peered more closely at the magnificent diamonds and realized she was talking to Queen Elizabeth. Overcome with embarrassment, Lady Diana curtsied and stammered, Ma'am, oh ma'am, I'm I'm sorry ma'am, I did not recognize you without your crown. Queen Elizabeth said, It was so much Sir Robert's evening that I decided to leave it behind. Are you maybe willing to leave behind your crown? Every idea of how great you are. We're all miserable, rebellious people. 
But God greatly loves us all, and he, he sent his son to redeem us and save us from, from every sin. He deserves all the glory and not us. In fact, how about this? How about we take those crowns and we cast them at his feet? Just like in Revelation chapter 4, where it says, Whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders, which represent us, they fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him forever and ever, and they cast their crowns before the throne, saying, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they were, exist and were created. So there we see a perfect picture of humility. The heart that's created by focusing on Jesus, by looking at Jesus, you look at all that he's done, and all of a sudden your life doesn't matter that much. You're just happy to know him and cast your crowns at his feet. Do you have thoughts that you could change your life? If you just tried harder, cast that crown to Jesus and worship him instead. Do you have thoughts that you could change someone else? Oh, my wife, she needs a thing or two. My husband, I could change him. Let me nag him to death. Cast that crown to Jesus and worship him instead. Do you have thoughts that you need a degree? Some, something for people to see how good you are? How smart you are? Cast that crown to Jesus and worship him instead. Do you have thoughts that you need to be married? Or you'd like to be single? Cast those thoughts, or cast that crown to Jesus and worship him instead. Do you have thoughts that you need to earn respect from someone? Or that somehow meekness would make you less in the eyes of other people? Cast that crown to Jesus and worship him instead. Do you have thoughts that following Jesus is hard because he demands so many things? Cast that crown to Jesus and just worship him instead. Do you have thoughts that the effectiveness of your prayers depends somehow on how holy you've been living? Cast that crown to Jesus and worship him instead. Do you have thoughts that how could you follow Jesus or you're trying to decide how you can follow Jesus and serve yourself at the same time, cast that crown to Jesus and worship him instead. Do you have thoughts that you can follow Jesus and expect to live a comfortable life, the American dream, have plenty of money and food? Cast that crown to Jesus and worship him instead. Do you have thoughts that you're doing better at keeping the law than someone else? Cast that crown to Jesus and worship him instead. Do you have thoughts that people are just difficult and mean and you have a right to be bitter and angry? Cast that crown to Jesus and worship him instead. Do you notice a trend? 
No, Kurt, I can't help you then. Jesus alone can fill you up with glory, but it only happens when you empty yourself. Your thoughts need only to be on Jesus Christ. There's nothing else we need to think about. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to the Father except by, by me. Isaiah 44 is the uh, verse we're going to close with. We're going to close with two verses. This is the first one. Isaiah 44, 3. For I will pour water on him who is thirsty and floods on the dry ground. I will pour my spirit on your descendants and my blessing on your offering, offspring. So in that verse, I see God wants to fill you up. He has such a desire. He just needs low places, low hearts, lowly minds that he could fill up. And then Revelation chapter 22, verse 17, one of the last verses in the Bible. And the spirit and the bride say, come. And let him who hears say, come. And let him who thirsts, come. Whoever desires, let him take of the water of life freely. This glory, this stake, this real life that Jesus offers, he says it's free. So make room for it. Because you're going to want to pack as much of his spirit into your life as possible. When you taste and see how good it is, there, there is no room for self anymore. That's why I'm not coming up here and I'm not saying, you all need to think worse about yourselves and you all need to just buck up and humble yourselves and bow down before God. No, that's not it. I want you to see how good God is, how much glory Jesus is offering that it's free so that you make the decision, why am I thinking about myself? Why am I doing this? We are not his slaves. We are his children. And we can feel that need to be totally dependent on him for everything. A father loves when his children say, oh, my dad will take care of it. Even if one of his kids is in a fight with another kid, and that kid's like, my dad can beat up your dad, and this first kid is like, oh, you don't know my dad. My dad is going to take care of business. And I just trust him. So yeah, you can beat me up, but my dad's going to send you to hell. No. Um, <laughs> there's like a lot of truth in that, but I'm just going to kind of leave that right there. <laughs> all right. Well, that's, that's our Bible study for today. So would you guys all stand with me? And let's go ahead and close our eyes and pray. Father, when we uh, set our mind on things above, when we set our mind, Jesus, on what you've done, there's so much freedom there. 
And Lord, when I'm thinking about my life and my worries and my concerns and my safety and all the things that can so easily consume my mind, I'd become in bondage to those things. And Lord, it is for freedom that you have made us free. You set us free. You say when we keep our mind, our our eyes lifted to you, our hands worshiping you, our souls trusting you, Lord, that that's the source of life. That's how we come in and drink of the waters deeply that are so free. Lord, I love to empty myself out before you. I love to cast all my crowns before you. I love to cast my cares and concerns at your feet. You're my father. You care about me more than I'll ever know. You give me gifts all the time. You, you, you show your care for me in so many ways. Lord, I thank you truly. And Lord, I ask for your forgiveness for all that I do that's self-focused. I thank you for marriage and my wife that helps me to not be self-focused, even though that's hard because I'm so darn selfish. Lord, I thank you for the trials in my life. I thank you for the trials in all our lives, Lord, that do one thing, and that's help us to look to you, to know how much we need you, We thank you for those trials. And I pray that in those trials, you would help us be faithful, that your life would be seen in us, your Holy Spirit would fill us. Lord, that we would act godly, we would act righteously, we would give no offense, Lord, but that we would honor you in everything. And Lord, we we truly love you. We thank you, God, that we can study humility and not feel like we need to take a whip to our own back to force ourselves to be humble before you, but we can lift our eyes to the great love and joy you shower on us, and that produces true humility. A lowliness of mind that we can just smile and rejoice and laugh at how inconsequential we are and how wonderful you are. Lord, fill us with your glorious spirit, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen.